Hey there, it's Ben. So, this is coming out just as the world finishes changing from one year to another. And I'm wanting to thank our thousands of listeners as well as those who gain contact with us through email, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, I'm wanting to give 2017's last shout-out to Gray as one of the 35 people who support this show on Patreon. If you want to be like them and are able to, you don't have to, you can find us at patreon.com slash way or single one-shot backing at ko-fi.com slash way. Thank you everyone for the continued support. And now, on to the show. Walking back to my quarters from the latest test firing of the Purgle's Axial Turbo Laser, I hear this loud, jubilant noise coming from a door. Wait, what's this? Wasn't this where the hollow projectors installed? I peer into the room wondering what the heck is happening. Five bits with instruments occupy a race platform in the corner of the Purgle's new cantina. The gather crew cheer as they start up another number. Behind the bar assembled from cargo crates, I pour myself another glass of Carillion Ale. Pleased that I was able to book the model notes off of that bet with Fiery, Figure, and Dan. Hey Ben, pull up a seat. It's going to be a relaxing tale from the Heidian Way. We're your hosts, Christine Chester. And Ben Yendel. Here's one thing that does seem to come up a lot. And I can see this branching off into a few different areas for us to actually talk about. But the primary thing that I'm thinking about is, so what do you deal with between sessions? Like, does all of your party just sort of go off into their five, six, seven different corners and then just twiddle their thumbs, get on with life, and then come back afterwards in however long, week, two weeks, a month? You spend the first, what, half hour just sort of reminiscing and getting back up to speed of what's going on? Is that the thing, or... Do you do crafting? Is there a lot of backstory starting to generate? A lot of weird secondary stuff coming up? <laughs> or there's also the possibility of plotting going on. Uh-huh. I have two amazing examples from Heroes about this. Actually, both are Brent. I entirely blame Brent for both of these examples. One is the conversion to AMP. Actually, not just that. The entire TV leaving the Rebellion going off on his own, and then coming back. That was something that Brent really wanted to do. This was during a time when we were all talking about, well, what directions are we wanting to take our characters? This was something that Brent really, really wanted to do. Me being me. All right, let's do this. Mm -hmm. We were able to sort of plot out, well, what are some of the things that needed to happen for the leaving and coming back? The thing that I know I don't really want to steal from Brent, but one of the things that he specifically brought up was he doesn't like having the conflict within the party of we don't want to be together. Like the lone wolf who is only there for the money and doesn't want to do anything with the rest of the party. That's boring. Yes. What he was wanting to do was have to be coaxed back in. And once he's back in, he's there and all for it. I mean, we've got AMP. I had no idea about AMP. I'm not even sure that Brent did. <laughs> to an extent. Yeah. Brent had the whole tattoo thing going. Like, Brent had amp, maybe not perfect, but he had the ideas. The other thing was one of the things that, from my side, I was circling around with Brent was the history at Zorn. The memory of the pebble taking him out, as is going to keep coming up. 
we'd sort of discussed generally, like, okay, yeah, TV had been at Zorn before. He, we have, in text, in the adventure, there was Clone Wars battles there. You can even find on the Wook of there were at least two battles at Zorn. So why not have the TV battle droid be a commander there? Both of those things came out of discussions between sessions. I know that for Matt too, amazingly enough, even though he doesn't like doing much pre-planning because he loves being spontaneous, on Vlimith Port, there is something for Matt too that is going to be amazingly fun to explore. And on Koak, there's going to be something very fun for you and I to explore as well. I'm scared. Why? Because you keep telling me that you're that I'm going to hate you at the end of it. <laughs> oh, no. It's one of those things of as gleeful as I am to put my players into situations where players are going to have hard choices and have to do things. I've discussed Koak with you and with Chris enough in very meta fashion that I know which way you guys are going to jump. So I'm able to heavily load in on that mm-hmm. and make it to be a very satisfying thing at the end. So that's a very long-winded way of me coming around to kind of what the topic is. The conversations that you can have between sessions can become adventure-defining if you let them. Or even character-defining. I'm thinking about what do I do, what do my players do, and while you're talking about like very big character arc things, I know some of my players like to make even small-term plans. Where, hey, we're in this situation, like we ended on a cliffhanger or in the middle of a job or we know a job is coming up, let's make plans. They actually do this on Twitter a lot, which has led to amusing moments when then I chime in and they're like, the GM is listening. <laughs> but they, they like to, to bat around ideas and that way when we jump into the game, they're not planning for an hour. They already have a skeleton of what they want to do. So there's that. But then like something I do a lot this goes to show you how much of a nerd I am. <laughs> I, I have used it as an opportunity to do side role plays. Okay. Um, like writing out a little story with another person. Because I've done some play-by-email games for fun. It's a good way to practice writing. And the GM outside of you, Ben, that I usually get to play under is very like something has to be happening every second. So there's not really any time for the players, like the PCs, just to stand to the side and talk about something. So I like to use that as our, our way to get that in of, okay, well, maybe so-and-so betrayed the party, and you know what? I'm going to confront him about that. And we're going to have a chat that's really about the characters more than any big plot-defining thing and how they feel about each other. But it's a fun way, too, to slow down and evaluate and put something else out there that's entertaining during that two weeks in between sessions. That kind of reminds me of one thing that I had started off with my last campaign, and then I really wish I had given NPCs off to players so that mm -hmm. they could start exploring this. It was a Force and Destiny campaign, and to start off with, I had Scully and Mulder going after him. <laughs> There were these mid-level ISB agents that were running down reports of force use. I was thinking X-Files for some crazy reason. I kind of think it would have been interesting to have the players take that and run with it. Some of it, it allows the players to sort of shape how the world sees them. What you're saying about sort of side adventures really kind of sparks something for me. Well, it's a way to do that. It's also 
like we've been talking about some major rebellion games or things like that kind of like side related to say crafting or whatever maybe while you know the mechanic is building something you know your commander character is going to go inspire the troops or something Mm -hmm. and maybe that player takes the time to in between the gap write out a little speech or something and then maybe you get like a leadership role off of that when you're back in session or if you trust your you know your players even do that like on their own and see okay well this is a cute little thing that can affect kind of the background as we go into the next thing another thing that i've got thinking about is something like the dice for brains pregame i was just thinking about that too <laughs> it's a fun little example like the guy who runs the northern nerdcast up here in edmonton one of the things that he was trying to do with a monster-sized party was during the quiet nights when like only half the people would show up and there was like a normal size rpg group these are the bounty hunters that are chasing the big group mm-hmm of course, you'd have the meta knowledge, but yeah, you'd have these bounty hunters trying to track down the main group. Which is almost like a side topic on its own. You know, what do you do when you have <laughs> some people don't show up? Oh, yeah. And I think that's absolutely a good way to, to treat it is if you can still you focus on the same setting and play something that affects it, then the, you know that's fantastic. I mean, you're not veering too far off course. And especially, let's say, you know, you've got that player who has a really busy schedule, or you just have some people drop in and out, well, then they might get to hear about it later on, and that's another cool like story they get to share, and even look forward to, oh, I can't wait to make my bounty hunter when we have that chance to do that side game again. It's like a nice little surprise. Say you are running a rebel campaign, or you're running a smuggler group. Every now and then, like you could have between session thing of essentially a play-by-post style of this is a customs group that is trying to track down the smuggler and yeah they're like five steps behind Mm -hmm. they're slowly catching up and this is going to be the big bad yeah during that time they're still going on all their smuggling jobs they're still trying to outwit all the normal gm npcs and that sort of thing but there's also between sessions this other thing going on which is going to affect this oh i know um this is more on the gm side but both and banter Another Star Wars podcast had a whole thing where there were different factions okay. within Nar and the GM would like roll dice and like had different stats for them and do things behind the scenes in between. And I don't recall how much he shared with the players, but I know for the with like the audience, he would share some of here's what happened here. Here's how why this is gonna shape this week's episode. Okay. And that could be a means to even Especially if, you know, you, you know, stylize it some, maybe, you know, there was this takeover of one hut clam and after another one, but you frame it in a way of either a rumor that's heard or a news post or something like that to add a little bit more flavor and also prepare players going in. It's also just a good time to, like we've touched on a little bit with the crafting, it's a good time to take care of bookkeeping. Oh, yes. Take care of your shopping or at least figure out what you want to mod, what do you want to buy. <laughs> As well as, let's say you're doing a larger campaign. Let's say you're playing that rebel platoon or whatever, do, or you're the head of a, a growing crime syndicate. Maybe that's the place where you start hiring your like NPCs who are going to assist you in this endeavor. You could almost have like a metagame there of the like the resource side. <laughs> that makes a huge amount of sense. One of the ones that sort of jumped to mind is. You describing sort of the way the world works is 
really reminding me of something, a D&D system, or really it's a campaign setting system, that is called the West Marches, mm-hmm. which that on its own is sort of deserving of its own episode. But the basic idea is you have this giant map, which is called the West Marches. In the very middle of the map, you have the town. And the town has the typical town things. You've got the inn, you've got the church, you've got the Lord's Keep, that sort of stuff. Very basic, this is the guaranteed every place has it kind of thing. It's for a player-directed campaign. It's amazingly sandboxy if you let it, but it's also like you present those three things in front of the players and they're going to go in one direction. You give them that option at the end of the session and then you know which direction you've got to plan out. It's player-directed, but still GM-structured. Mm-hmm. With that, you can, if you want to, and it really helps with player buy-in, is getting the players to sort of buttress up a lot of the structure that you as a GM are throwing up at them. This is a really cool thing. That's a really cool thing. This is the inn. It has a tavern at the bottom. It has, like, Two levels of uh, sleeping arrangements with one really spiffy room in it that costs like a few thousand credits per night. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Then the players can come up with these are NPCs that are there or anything that they're really wanting to. A way to help populate the the scene. Now, here's a question, though. Okay. Because this will happen to a lot of groups. But let's say you've got a party of five and you're looking to add some of that extra flavor and present those situations. What do you do if, say, only three of those five people are able to find the time to do this, or even like the other two, it's not their thing? Like, what do you do when only part of the party is engaged in those in-between session events? As a GM, you've got to make sure that the separation is there. At-the-table stuff has to be solely contained at the table. You can't have it where, because we don't have the time for this, because we're doing so many other things, and we've just been able to scratch out enough time to be at the table. Mm -hmm. If I'm bringing in the bartender that this other person has lovingly come up with and has come up with a bit of a backstory to, the semi-mean thing I'll do is I will get them to describe it. If the player has created something, the player gets to take complete ownership and describe it. Absolutely. Also, this is something that I've started to do for, like, just players are coming up with characters that are supposed to be there. We're going up to negotiate. Okay, what does this guy that you're coming over to negotiate look like? Or how is he acting? Or, or if the players do something like, alright, well I'm going to use Streetwise and I've got some advantages. So I run into an old friend. Okay, who's this old friend? What's their name? What are they like? <laughs> exactly, 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 exactly. But then those sort of things could be fleshed out more in between sessions to stay on topic. Of, okay, well, maybe I said that this guy's name is Olog in the time, and I described him as this, like, large guy or whatever. Maybe afterwards, you know, you start thinking about it and like, oh, well, how did I meet Olog? Okay, well, let's let's craft this out. What is the backstory there? Why is this important? And that can shape the GM, too. Because usually what I find are are players will just naturally, like, shoot themselves in the foot a little bit when they're telling those sorts of stories. Because it is a story of like, oh, wait a minute. So this guy's your friend, but you have this point in your history where say you won his ship from him in a sabat game and you know i I can play with that i can i can do this (laughs) exactly that like now i'm trying to scrape my memory i don't think it's entirely mentioned exactly how han gets the falcon off of lando for that session it doesn't matter 
coming up with this rich backstory, that's great. It then does inform how this NPC acts towards this PC. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. But to start off with, you just have figured out that, oh, yeah, sometime in the past, this thing has happened. And then, yeah, you're right. Between sessions is the perfect time to figure out some of the more details to it. Mm -hmm. And I got thinking of the EU and how the Falcon just sort of went back and forth between Han and Landa for mm -hmm. a couple of years. Pretty much. You know something else I noticed from, like, when I was rewatching the original trilogy? All my perceptions of the Millennium Falcon being an awesome ship strictly come from the EU. In the actual movies, besides Han's boasting, it really is just kind of a beat-up-looking freighter. I mean, really. <laughs> it's one of those things if, yeah, Luke was right. And I, I, I like, kind of like it better that way. Like, the idea that, you know, for Han, this is his baby, but really the ship is not as awesome as he claims. <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of, if the players want to get invested with things, it's better to get invested with the GM. And if the GM's getting invested, it's better to get invested with the players. Mm. Because that way, everyone starts to have an idea of who's invested in what. When the GM's hyper-invested in something and the players know this, they're going to be a bit more receptive to trying something out. Yes. They also have a better idea on how to give feedback to make it what the GM is attempting to do. Or even asking like permission for things along the way. Ooh, good point. Like I know when I made my archaeologist Belloc equivalent, that was a question <laughs> I asked the the player. Like I laid it out of, hey, can I create this character? And I worked with her to like create some of the background between them. Why are they rivals? Why is that there? I've likewise had the opposite where a player has, you know, is a men in a NPC for their backstory. And then that turns into the back and forth. Well, can, can this character have this trait? Can we can we play with this? I want to see how this goes. <laughs> it's also a good opportunity to, like we're talking about fleshing out setting and scene. You can even do something as small as, let's say it's the start of a new campaign and the party has their ship and people are claiming their rooms and they're starting to settle in. Well, what if, you know, a player want to take it upon themselves? Like you're the, you know, you're the engineer. Okay, what does the engine room look like? Do you keep it like neat and tidy or is it just pure chaos back there? You know, are you putting up posters? You can help also flesh those things out and paint a better mental picture for the rest of your party in between those sessions. Like, yeah, that that's an awesome idea. Having the specific player room that is customized to them. To me, that just sounds near perfect. And yeah, that can be an on the moment thing as you're role-playing at the table. Mm -hmm. But some people don't like doing that. Or some people just like drawing it out. They've got an idea at the table and then they're wanting to expand upon it. Mm -hmm. If anything, I'm kind of thinking of Kith's workroom in Heroes. Yes. Initially described, it's, well, a mechanics workroom that's a little cluttered. Then as we start going through it, well, you've got this trophy T-series tactical droid head that apparently has a battery in it. You've got this other stuff for sharpening Mandalorian vibro swords. You've got this shield projector kit that apparently then makes wrist portable shields. Mm -hmm. All these droid parts that are slowly coming together that are hopefully at some point going to pay off. Mm -hmm. And probably a few random ball bearings still on the floor because of Matu. Uh, yeah. It paints a good picture. And likewise, on the TV Matu side, I think we've got <laughs> a decent picture of their room just full of musical instruments. 
at this point as they continue to flesh that out. And then just to tear myself down a little <laughs> bit, point out, like, we don't know anything about what Nima's room is. That hasn't been a, a set piece at all. And we know a little less about her. A little, There's a little less characterization there because that's not something that came up. Like you just said is the whole point of it. Yep. That's not something that's come up. It's not something that's needed to come up. To be honest, we've got no idea what Kith's actual domicile is going to be, but we know what her workshop is. She probably sleeps in the workshop anyway. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, yeah, that's what I figure. It's like her workbench is her bed or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or it's one of those things of the bed is hidden behind these uh, file cabinets. Mm-hmm. It starts coming to what is needed and what the players want to flesh out. At this point in Heroes, we've got fairly decent paths for where most of the characters are going, so there's not a huge amount of in-between session conversation. But as we're setting up, as we're switching from Dead in the Water to Friends Like These, there was a huge amount of in-between discussion. Oh, all over the place. You had private conversations with all of us. We had our big group conversation going on, and that only intensified after our discussion episode. This is sort of the playing out of the thing that this show has been saying for, uh, at this point, I don't know how many episodes, 170-some, of talk to your players. Yep. The thing is, is like, to make it so that the players want to keep talking to you between sessions, use what you discuss. Like, try and come up with situations that the players are going to want to come up and spitball these ideas with. So that they have an idea of what is actually going to happen. If you have this little 18-year-old assassin on board your ship, you talk to that player to find out what the heck they're wanting to do with this new bounty that the rest of the party's taken out in their name. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some of it can be filling in players on, well, these are the things that you need to know. And then how are they going to react to it? That's another good point. That's a great place to do the recap if you had somebody miss a session. Covering a lot of those bookkeeping things, just that way you can keep it going. So now here's a topic of conversation. So let's say you do want to flesh out more scenes and set all these things up. Like what platform to go about it on. For heroes, we tend to use like Twitter DMs, which is actually not a platform I would recommend. Because we can't go back or search things and really just things kind of get lost in the ether. And so I know the things that I tend to use, I've got like three good avenues. One is simply email. Yeah. You can bounce back and forth, and I at least have a folder for my game stuff, so I will move it over there, and that way I can find things as I need to, especially as the GM. And then two great services, one we're using right now, Ben, which is Discord. Yeah. You can make a page for your your group to to set up those conversations, and that at least is searchable Mm -hmm. and holds everything. The other one actually uh, starting to grow on me is Slack, because you can have different channels on it. In the end, it's whatever you use. And, like, maybe you've got a Facebook group that works well for you. Again, maybe not be perfectly searchable, but it's something that can work. Maybe it's just your Roll20 chat. Or... You've got Obsidian Portal forum posts. Yeah. Because, well, that's a thing that actually does work and I've used before. There's a multitude of different ways. And in the end, it's just this is the thing that you codify around. Even if it's an adventure journal type thing that's a bit more formatted for play-by-email style campaigns. Anyway, that works for you and your group. It works. Why change? Mm-hmm. You can try out other places, of course, but 
if it's working for you, it doesn't matter if we're saying that Discord is the best thing since sliced bread, which is okay. <laughs> or if you find that, yeah, emailing and actually sorting your inbox apparently works for some people. Uh, well, see, that that's my that's my metagame in between work days. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things that I've run into is sometimes you come up with ideas that sound really cool and you sort of come up with this cool little offshoot of the original idea and you and the person you're discussing it with get it to the table and decide no this just doesn't work at least not for this game Mm -hmm. like it's a cool idea and all but for the game with all these other people here in the cold late of day it doesn't work and that's cool too now another thing i would do with this is if you are going to especially do plot relevant things i would craft this stuff in a place where everybody can access it like, you can do the, the secret conversations again, but as we just talked about in the last episode, with regards to note passing, I've seen the problem before. I've actually, I've been guilty of this before, of you've had that great chat with the GM, and then you come into the next session, and for the two of you, you know what you're talking about, and everybody else is clueless, unless you catch them, you bring them up to speed. Yeah, and if it happens once or twice, it's great. Like, it really, really can be great. Mm-hmm. But... One of the best conversations that I think has happened on Heroes has been TV and Matu talking about Zorn. Before TV knew that you guys were going to Zorn, and before Matu knew what the place was called. Mm-hmm. Matu had had his Force Vision, TV had had his memory come back, and neither of the two had any idea of what the other one was saying. So the two of them could talk about the same thing, and truly not have an idea of what the other one was saying. <laughs> so it's one of the very rare times where player knowledge and character knowledge align. Yeah, and that was pure dumb luck that has worked out beautifully. <laughs> oh yeah, like it, it really was one of those things of that's just how people being at the sessions worked out. But mm-hmm. like that as a player, that like to me as a GM, if I discuss anything with a player, it's something I am then trying to focus in on getting that player to explain. Mm-hmm. As a player, I'm wanting all the other players to know generally what my character is going to do. I'm wanting them generally to know the main secrets that are going on. If there's going to be a sudden but inevitable betrayal, that's kind of at least that possibility I'm wanting the players to know about. Because I at least want to be an inevitable <laughs> betrayal instead of it just being, wait, what? That is reminding me of a Age of Rebellion one-shot uh, I did for... When a friend friend was visiting for Christmas, the, the GM did a great job. There were three players, and he just told us that one of us was a traitor. <laughs> and the funny thing was, none of us were traitors, but he had, like, basically, you're like, GM and PC equivalent, that was totally the traitor. But he was trying to see if he could, like, drum up that suspense. <laughs> you saying that then gets me thinking of Onslaught at Art of One, and that would be the perfect thing to just serve open with. Because Onslaught Art of One, the entire thing is the players are trying to find a traitor. Yeah. Immediately do that. Do that head fake of, well, one of you is a traitor. Whether it's true or not, everybody's going to start suspecting and it's going to have, like, put them a little on edge. (laughs) And also, there's a high chance that all of them will become traitors. Oh, so I still haven't checked out that one because uh, it still might be done for heroes someday. Who knows? I'm just meaning from if you tell players, well, one of you might be. But in the end, GM has no idea. Eh, there's a chance. Mm-hmm. There's a chance. This might be a short one. 
like some of this we've been talking about, like, yeah, have your crafting in between sessions because that way you and the crafter can go back and forth. I mean, heck, the shield thing that you and Leslie and I developed, that was entirely done between sessions. Yep. Why? Because, well, we didn't want to spend an hour, hour and a half with these other people just sort of sitting around twiddling their thumbs. As you say, the bookkeeping is probably the best thing to handle between sessions. There's a reason why generally... After the last of the actual plot or adventure is done, that's when your experience is given out for the game. Because mm-hmm. then it can happen like either as people are leaving or between that session and the next session. Bookkeeping writ large can happen. There's one other thing that happens between sessions. Yes. That I do kind of want to bring up. And that is GM preparation. Yes. Just solely on your own GM preparation. About, you know, six hours before I actually run the game in my case, but (laughs) (laughs) it is technically in between sessions. (laughs) Yeah, if it's short, just sort of frantic bullet points coming out, or maybe you're taking the two weeks in between to try and finally craft these scenes so that you've got a really good intro to each of them. Yep. The scenes, it's also a good opportunity to, let's say you're a GM who actually uses minis. Mm. You can map out a scene. Yeah. Or even just figure out the rough layout of a base or things like that. Try to prepare tools that you have at the ready. You know, bring up your name generator and start collecting names that sound cool. That way you have them at the ready for a session. Something else that I I do is I have my lovely adversary decks. And right before a session, I'll also go through those and figure out what ones am I going to use tonight? Have those at the ready. That's something I should be doing more. Like with Heroes, one of the things that I'm doing is trying to figure out what are the big scenes I actually want to hit for each episode. Yes, the players can toss in whatever they want. They can push back a couple scenes into the next episode. Players are players. You guys do what you want. Mm -hmm. But I try and bring in, well, this is what the module says is supposed to be there and rearrange it into something I can instantly use. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, for the first part of Dead in the Water, I had, like, a dozen index cards up in front of me so that I could easily pull out, oh, well, this is this minion's stat block. And since I've switched over to using OneNote, and having it so that I can just look at something, like, recontextualizing from a module what's there, so I can look at it, not be having to look around at different notes, I just have to scroll. Although that's been interesting on another tangent here. Like seeing your note taking for so you shared a couple of pages there to like give me information like what is hard to know mm-hmm. and some things that might need to come up and your note taking is entirely different from mine. That's that's a fun thing about being different people. Yeah, because I very much am the the bullet point GM. <laughs> I'm gonna go through and I'm trying to give the rough outline here and. Like, I never have, like, a chunk of box text, at least with my own stuff. You know, I have run an adventure module before, and that's a whole different story. But I'll go through and do that stuff, and I tend to use my cards more than craft out a lot of NPCs unless they're a big bad. And and so, like, my, my notes tend to be about, like, a page for a session. My notes for Heroes is very different than my notes for my Thursday night game. Mm-hmm. Both run every other week. So, my notes for Heroes, because I'm running a pre-published adventure, have all the pre-published adventure stuff in it. Like, Mm -hmm. I have the stats for the characters. I've got box text from the module in there so that I know what I'm writing. I've actually read this aloud so I know, can I say it? 
mm-hmm. because we ran into that down the water. Every now and then, especially now, as we go into recording tomorrow's heroes, the stuff that's coming up isn't scripted. It's scripted in structure. It's not scripted in text. Hmm. So I know that going to the Mandalorian village has a bunch of box text around and a bunch of setting stuff that I don't want to miss. So I write that down because the last time I missed it, it got confusing for everyone. Mm -hmm. I'm wanting to make sure that I have it there so that I can reference it. I may pull it out and bullet point it, but it's going to be there so that if it's in front of me, I can go back to it. Right. But the difference I have with my Thursday night group, which is in three days. Oh, the beautiful part about this is that they're listening to this about three, four weeks after it's happened. Yeah. So I've got this entire assault plotted out mm-hmm. in my head, and I've got bullet points down for they approach the outside of the base in the middle of the desert, and the sentries are already down with knives sticking out of their throats as they continue in, as they're trying to do this extraction. I've got it set up in my head that they're going to be finding that another group has gone through here just before. Hmm. But I've got bullet points down for, specifically, the knives sticking out of the guard's throats. The heavy repeating blaster emplacement with someone laying over the railing. Like, showing that a group of some power has come through. Mm-hmm. Also possibly laying around one or two heavy weapons for my heavy. <laughs> Because, well, sometimes you just got to be nice. Hmm. Like, at least for my note-taking, it's what are you wanting to do? Even if running a module, make it your own. Uh, yes. As I say, like with Heroes, I'm trying to also be reverential to the adventure text as written. Now, I know one other thing to take into consideration as you're going in between those sessions. Now, this is technically not what the books say, but I actually like to do my obligation duty... Or if you're going to use like the chart for it, morality role at the end of a session. Yes. Rather than at the beginning of one. Yeah, that way I know, okay, well, so-and-so's favor obligation activated. And that also gives me time to craft out in between. Okay, well, here's what that's going to entail. I also like it that way because then our you know smuggler pilot whose obligation activated isn't thinking about that for two weeks. Oh no, my obligation activated. What's what's going to happen? And that could be a conversation too, or trying to anticipate things. Now you have a prompt to talk to this player between sessions. Mm-hmm. What is this duty going to happen? How is this obligation going to show up? And it's beautiful for obligation because then how does this tie into the next thing? Yeah, obligation is definitely the best for it. But even like duty could take shape of, let's say you have like, space superiority as your duty, then as the GM, you can always factor that into your plans. Make sure there is that starship encounter that's going to that might shape the mission some. Um likewise, that's a chance to talk to your player. What are they hoping to see out of it? Are they happy with, say, you know, if it's something that's specific with how much they've been able to act on that? Or has view gone too much? Or is there some specific scenario they've dreamed up? You know, you can you can toss it back and forth. You can still achieve some of those dreams for the player. That's a really good point. Like, that's entirely great. Like, how and why you're wanting to do this. Since we've, like, okay, I guess neither of us are actually using written, like, on paper notes, but, Mm -hmm. like, how much do you kind of have for players? 
or for you as a GM going into the session? As in my notes in general or player-specific things? I'm going more in general. Okay, so here's one mistake I do make of I don't start new documents often enough. (laughs) So in a year's worth of games... Because uh, like, I always title because I'm a nerd. Anytime I start a new document, I put it like episode, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I give like a tagline to help remind me. Usually it's like a planet name, although I've been getting more sarcastic the longer we've been going. So in one year, I've only made six of these documents. So I, I really should make them more often. But like my most recent one, their episode six is I have 12 pages and that's probably for, this is actually pretty heavy right now, but that's probably for about four, five-ish sessions so far, and I will be starting a new one next time. And now I include things on here, like the first, the reason why it's so long is at the very top I have an XP count, I have a conflict and morality count for a one force user, I have my obligation chart, I have my list of NPC names I can pull from at the drop of a hat. And then I also have some general prominent NPC notes and some notes for what could happen if an obligation activates. And that's already my first page just by itself. Yeah. And I tend to add about a page, a session usually, where I take some notes on what the players are doing during game or initiative notes or things like that. But otherwise, like I'll have a paragraph and I tend to have one or two bullets or we were just talking about the timing thing last time. I actually forgot I did this. I have a list when they it mattered for when different people were doing things of what's a general thing this NPC is doing during hour one, during hour two. And I went up to 12 hours for these couple of groups that were doing different moves around the, the PCs. You saying that kind of brings me to two things for me. One, mm-hmm. Heroes is currently on the clock. Yeah. There's the grand, hey, look, we've got 48 hours from the time of this council discussion to the Imperials landing or thereabouts. I mean, the GM does get leeway. They're told that it's 72 hours from when this message was sent, but is it really? Can it be 71? Can it be 73? Yes. (laughs) But I do have an NPC track of what are, what is going on? Like anything like that, I've got a separate page set up for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my one notes are not really representative of how I'd write out a session notes if uh, as if I was taking it to a local game store. Mm-hmm. Like if I was taking this to a local game store, it would essentially be two pages on one side each, just so I can look at both of them at the same time and not be flipping furiously. It would be half a page of bullet notes saying, these are the main things I'm wanting to get across today. These are the cool things that I'm wanting to do. Or these are the possible ways that the players can go, which... Is something I've started to do for the backer games. The rest of it is either main NPCs and descriptors. Like, this is a shopkeep and this is a gruff but romantic herglick. <laughs> and if I don't put that stuff down, they're not going to try and do a really horrible job of attempting to flirt with one of the PCs. Right. Anytime where I've got a speech that I have thought up ahead of time, that's one of the things that I'm kind of writing down a speech or i know i will like the only things i'll really write out in advance like that are let's say somebody sent you a hollow message like a hollow recording yes i will absolutely write that out that way i i will play it out it's a stuff that you absolutely need 
Mm-hmm. This being said, like, I have my browser open. Like, normally if I'm running, I've got, like, my browser open. I can go to Donjon, quickly pull up. Well, the, these are three missions that could happen. Mm-hmm. This is a couple names that can happen. I've also got the fantasy name generator pulled up, but that thing's unwieldy to get through. Because it's there's just so much there. And kind of goofy at times. <laughs> it's like accents. You know, the goofier they are, the better they are in situation, because... You're trying to ham it up. Everyone there knows you're acting badly. Christine, what are your final pieces of advice for our listeners on what to do in between their sessions? Above all else, have fun with it. Every group's going to be different. That's always like my my general lesson. And see, what do your players want to do? You know, maybe do an experiment and, you know, cover your bookkeeping between sessions one time and see, is that interesting to them or do they really prefer... You know, do that in real time or, you know, the same thing for descriptions and, you know, see what what works for you and your group. What between sessions works for you and your group is what matters. It it doesn't matter if it works for Christine or me. It's what works for you and your group mm-hmm. because you're the ones who are doing it. If having a Slack channel with the main group and a couple side ones for different sections, like the pilot and the and mechanic for these are the people who actually care about the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, have as like have a bunch of Slack channels. And if that works for you, that's awesome. If you're doing Discord stuff, awesome. If it works best for you to, let's say you're you're throwing emails back and forth with one person, and then when you're when you've settled on things, you then send the results out to the entire group to read. Then do that if that works. In the end, I guess kind of hearkening back to something I said at the beginning ish of the episode is whatever's at the table is at the table. The table has to be something separate than what's in between sessions. Because at the table is where everyone is. That's where you're going to find the person who just doesn't care about the stuff in between sessions. That's where you're going to find the person who is really quiet and is just observing everything, finally coming out and saying, yeah, I'm going to change up my character immensely because of all these other things that are going on. At the table is sort of the show. Everything else is preparation for the show. Everything else is sort of like fan fiction for it. It's the writer's room. Yeah, exactly. That's between sessions. At the table, that's the game. Everything else should be fun. I mean, other than really extreme situations, you're not getting paid for this. So have fun. Have fun in everything that you're doing with this. You're playing a game. Games are supposed to be fun. At least that's what they keep telling Hearing a loud groan from the crew as the warning claxon comes on, all of us look up to see the warning about an incoming ship. Well, it's been fun to relax, but it's time to get back to work on this fully armed and operational Pelta-class frigate. The band clutch their instruments close as the crew scrambles out the door. It's alright, boys. Mass Talk here is going to see you to your quarters. I pat the arm of the Herglick bodyguard beside me. It looks like you're going to be with us as we embark on another bluesy tale from the Hydean Way. You can find show updates on Twitter at the Hydean Way, and you can find me at Twelfth Night. That's one two T H Night with a K. And I'm at Deuterium Ice. We are all at thehydeanway.com, where you can find previous episodes, links to things we talk about in the show, and our live play podcast, Heroes of the Hydean Way. Our podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, where you can find more episodes. While you're there, help us out by rating and reviewing the show. 
Drop us a holocom at tales at theheideanway.com. We're also on Facebook as Tales from the Heidean Way. If you like what we do and want to support the show and help us buy some new equipment, you can find us at patreon.com slash theheideanway.